Coming up on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, the backlash against Google's placement of ads on objectionable content. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Google is in hot water for allowing ads to run alongside objectionable content. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Amol Sharma, Media and Marketing Bureau Chief at The Journal, and I'm uh, joined today by Jack Marshall and Suzanne Vernicia, the uh, my colleagues who've been all over this story, along with Jack Nickus, our uh, Google reporter in San Francisco. What's up, guys? Hello. Good. How's it going? Um, so this is all. This has been ten days in the making. This story, and I'm just going to get people up to speed. So the Times of London published uh, an investigation. Um, initially, a little over a week ago, showing that uh, UK government ads and ads from several prominent brands were uh, showing up on videos of hate groups and and terrorist sympathizers. And of course, there was tremendous outrage and there was a backlash. People started pulling money out of Google brands. And then that spread and it really accelerated quickly in the past several days. and now uh, our own Jack Nickus reported just a few days ago, that this, despite the fact Google apologized and has promised new tools to combat this, it's still happening. And, and his you know, late night web surfing found um, ads for, uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was Walmart, Coke, Pepsi, uh, Starbucks was on there, General Motors was on there, on sites that fall in the general category of hate or terrorist you know, supporting type sites. Um, so this is continuing. It's all these brands or many of them are suspending advertising on various Google services, either YouTube or the display network or both. Um, so this is a big deal. The question now, which I'll kick to you guys, is is this sort of a temporary eruption of outrage that will revert back to the mean, you know, at some point when all this dies down? Or is this the beginning of something really substantial for the Google advertising business? I think it's probably the latter, only because, to be fair, this is nothing new, right? We've been dealing with this for a really long time. Yes, it's extremist content right now, but we've all done the similar stories and marketers who all of a sudden sound off alarming, surprise, oh my goodness, my ads are running. It's a joke, right? This is a joke. You have been here before. We have talked about how your ads run on pornography, how your ads run on fake tra- fake sites that are basically created by bots for a scam. You run on pirated content and then you run on fake news. And now, oh, my God, we're on terrorist-funded websites and content that we don't want to be near. So everybody's also like, let's, let's set the record straight here. This is an issue that they know has long been an issue. I do think this could be now the tipping point where they have to actually do something about this. Because once you start pulling this kind of money, real answers have to be made. And then the people at the tops of these companies have to be aware. So it's like the CEO now has to be involved because we're talking about millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that lots of companies spend on these platforms. And I think that's why we will have to see some sort of resolution. You guys wrote this interesting um piece sort of contrarian piece together yeah. the other day that was that was a little bit of a different take than others out there had which is that there are a lot of motives at play here yep. that aren't you know aren't aren't on the surface well, uh, the, for marketers yeah well that's what i was going to bring up i mean to Suze's point this has been an issue with all online advertising any sort of scale advertising it becomes difficult to sort of police exactly where ads appear you know that's an issue for google that's an issue for any 
sort of major ad network. Um, I guess the one of the questions is um, to what extent is this being used by agencies and marketers and, you know, arguably anybody else who has contact with Google, whether that's a tech right. company, um, you know, AT&T, Verizon, the two of the companies who pulled their ads, they compete with Google to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I just wonder if there's sort of a broader moment here. Pylon. Yes. <laughs> Pylon, yeah, maybe you would describe it that way. Um, you know, where people are taking this opportunity to sort of, right. I don't know, to, to check the size and the power of Google for, right. for a variety of different reasons beyond just brand safety. But right. it does, it does, Suze, it does seem incredible that these, these big companies, both on the buying side, the advertisers and Google, that they just uh, they can do so many things, but they can't right. literally type in a few words and find. I mean, what what Jack Nickus did was great. He spent several hours finding these examples. What the Times of London did, they did the same kind of thing and took took, took screenshots of it. Really, you're telling me you don't you didn't well, know this? Was you, out can there. Dr- you can make a you can make a car that drives itself. You can kind of come up with tech. So the excuse that we can't fix it. Look, you may never be able to get to 100, percent but you clearly, after a big brouhaha erupts, and then like a day or two later, we're re in, we're redoing that exact same thing, and in five hours we can catch it. Like clearly, they're smart enough to fix this. But there's this broader issue here about no one in this food chain is incentivized to. To fix it, right? So, like everybody Jack just said, paid. everybody gets paid. Yeah. The publishers Explain are all that. Explain so, why there's any so incentive for the So, the holding brands. companies literally, you know, are trying to push as much inventory through these platforms as they can, right? First, it's it's great for them because you don't have to do it by, you know, having tons of buyers. So, it saves them costs, personnel costs, and everything. So, there's an incentive there. For the advertisers who are all now standing up saying, oh, my God, this is terrible. Yeah, you know, they did benefit and they didn't complain when they were getting it cheap, right? Because to do it automated, you're getting cheaper advertising that way. So you get what you pay for. But now when you realize that the headline about supporting terrorism is a lot stronger than you got ripped off or, you know, it was like a porn site, now all of a sudden heads are going to roll. That's so I what have it to is. Take- that's what you just like, Jack, that's what's going on here is that it's Fake news. Okay, pe- ads in, people don't want right. their ads on fake news sites. Yeah. They don't want their ads fake on pirated got sites. Porn. Got them worried. That got them maybe more worried. Because of the know, election outcome. Porn, pirated. There's a, like a long list of sites you wouldn't necessarily want to be associated with as a brand. But this seemed diff- – like when the yeah. when the headline is you're funding a terrorist yes. site. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it's You have worse. to act. And I think, you know, to Susie's point, I think brands and agencies know to an extent, as yeah. you said, that you sort of get what you pay for. So yeah. if you're buying sort of the cheaper end of the barrel – yeah. then I think in the back of your mind, you're probably aware that, you know, this isn't right. the most premium, however you want to describe it, content. Um, it, that's the bargain then, of this. It's 10 that, bucks it for a thousand but, And the risk is a PR risk, to your point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, you know, th- there's a spectrum there as well. And I think sort of... Right. How many journalists are going to call me and call, call me out? Like everybody knows yeah. they're going to get the call. And how many times do you call a company and they say, I don't know, my buyer said, you know, does my buying. I have to check. They, they, they have like this sort of once removed from it. You know, not to... Okay, so we're saying that this is all they all know. But the other thing is education here. Like we're just laying this at the feet of these marketers. But you know what? As, as sophisticated as this has become, lots of the people in these roles, the CMO, levels, 
they don't have a clue what any of these systems are, right? You know, there was but a their famous their agencies do <laughs> and should. So, like, we can all just turn around and blame Google, but like, there's clearly answers that need to be had about what was my media buyer doing? Why weren't they on top of this more? You know, it's not just one person's fault that this happens. Number one, education has to happen at the marketer level. Like this idea of outsourcing your marketing to entire entirely and then claiming that you had no responsibility is ridiculous, right? Like you have to take ownership of it. And we, we're going to have to start to see that. And you're seeing it a little bit as marketers um, take more of their business internal or get more involved in this programmatic process, this automated buying process. The second point, too, is um, that in the grand scheme of things, you're sitting here saying we're upset about these advertisers are really upset about this PR nightmare that they're dealing with. But this fight, they're bringing everything to the table. The, you know, they they helped to build these two platforms, Google and Facebook. And now they're really nervous about it because they don't have any leverage with these big platforms. They're walled gardens. They're not giving them the data that they need, that they want to get from these platforms. And they're not used to that. And they've kind of lost track that they're actually the people that should have the say and it's their money that does the talking. But now the power's on the those that side of the fence with the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. So I don't think this is just a fight about this one issue. There's lots of undercurrent and lots of things that's being brought into this fight. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with uh, more with Susan Jack on this topic of Google. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, guys. So I've seen a couple different numbers out there about how much money is at stake, how much advertising spending is being pulled off the table. Um, and, you know, who knows how long that will go on for. But you've seen one analyst said it could be $300 million, Somebody else today, $750 million. Somebody said maybe it'll start with a B uh, if this keeps accelerating. So um, – what do you guys think and where theoretically does that money go, if anywhere? Obviously, there's going to be a lot of jockeying for that ad spend. Well, one thing I think it is important to point, to point out is this is not search spending. You know, Google generates the majority of its revenue from search. Um, these advertisers primarily are pulling their ads from YouTube and from its display ad network. I think maybe one or two said they were pulling search. Um, so I don't know. I think that's sort of important context here. So what we're talking about is is a relatively small subset. Yeah, of FX Networks, already. which is owned by uh, 21st Century Fox, said was uh, the only one I've seen. So there might be yeah. another one, but they were the only ones I've seen Pulling so search. far. Yeah, that pulled search. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling search is a big problem for a lot of companies. They've come to depend on that, and it really moves the needle. So that would be hard for a lot of them yeah. to pull. Yeah, you see a direct impact on revenue yeah. potentially. And I, I think what, what what everybody's struggling to figure out is like, where is it going to land? And I think, you know, everybody thinks they're all going to, oh, you know, there's a billion dollars coming in the doorway. I think immediately what you'll see is if you have advertisers are in the same category, if it's an AT&T versus a Verizon, these two companies, it might not go anywhere. And that's the thing that people have to remember. If two companies decide to pull off for temporarily, they know their major rivals pulling off. So we, we can keep our powder dry. We can put the money to our bottom line with advertisers really like to do. So there's not 
a desperate need to go and put all that money back in the marketplace. Secondly, everybody ha- is under this grand illusion that YouTube actually, you know, its revenue is built on the back of all TV dollars. Well, that's actually incorrect. It's, you know, they definitely had taken some of the TV money out there, but the majority of their their revenues have come out of digital ad buckets, right? And come out of digital other digital platforms. So most of the buyers that we're talking to said, look, advertisers that need immediate remedy and have campaigns in are probably most likely going to shift as quickly as they can, at least temporarily, some money to other digital entities, whether it's a Hulu, whether it's a, you know, others mentioned uh, weather.com. And but there's a caveat there as long Weather.com, yeah. I mean that was one that got mentioned. You know, publishers like oh. the New York Times, they've said different things, but it's more about there's always caveats like can these people actually give me the prices that I'm used to paying, the cheap prices that Google's network can get me. And the scale. And the scale course. that they need. So it's all everybody probably will get a little bit, but I don't think it's gonna be all of a sudden like, you know, the T V guys, you know, oh my God, we're gonna you know, we're up front time, it's gonna be all money's coming back. I, I don't see that I don't think that's happening at all. It will it'll probably be parceled around. But I don't think it'll be as big as everybody thinks and you know It'll all depend on what conversations happen over the next. Doesn't week. doesn't Snapchat have a, have an ar- decent argument about brand safety here? Given that it is a very enclosed environment that selects particular publishers and whatnot. Yeah, I mean their sort of network of content is a lot more curated and it's it's smaller and it's probably easier for them to. But they to recently keep track had of. a little flare up about you know stuff it appearing in inappropriate places. So. You know, the more you dig into this stuff, there's not a really safe, safe option for many brands. I think everybody wants Snapchat to be this powerful force to sort of go up against a duopoly. Um, People have mentioned Snapchat. But again, I think it was just two weeks ago that a couple advertisers and Group M had some issues with the Snapchat. And that's companies that really want competition. But again, no one is clean, completely clean. And that's a big issue. But it also comes back to, you know... Inappropriate is subjective, right? So there are going to be some advertisers who are, you know, happy being alongside some, you know, certain content that others won't. So I I think that comes back to the idea of of more granular controls as well, which I know YouTube or Google says that they're hoping to to introduce. Jack, do you think uh, if Google could go back and build this thing, uh, given how difficult it is to police everything that's out there, that there's anything – different they could have done um, in establishing controls or in the default of whether or not uh, content can be monetizable before it's blessed? I mean, in some way, is there anything different that they could have done? And that Facebook, which is kind of entering the video scene aggressively now, could maybe do differently as it builds up its video arsenal? I mean, they could probably be more conservative. Uh, I mean, obviously, as we already discussed, you know, they get paid um, a slice of revenue every time they serve an ad. So they're obviously incentivized to to serve ads against as much content as they possibly can. Um, so obviously there's sort of a, a dial there as to where you're comfortable striking that balance. So, I mean, that would be one way. But again, you know, the, you're potentially limiting the amount of revenue you can you can earn by doing so. Oh, I think a lot of these tech companies have always hidden behind the fact that we are not an editorial company, we're not media companies, we're tech companies, and more and more they can't get away from the fact that no, you actually are media companies, you're serving ads to media, you have some responsibility in this. Group M has been a big, Martin Sorrell has been out talking about this, like there's no more excuses now. What you're seeing now on the Facebook side, and it it's, might not even just be motivated by this sort of brouhaha that's happening is, you know, again, with YouTube and everybody saying, you know, TV dollars 
dollars are going to YouTube. Everybody in the digital sphere knows that that is not actually correct. They've only got a little bit of it. And even Facebook has struggled to get TV dollars. And why do you think they're all trying to get TV networks and everyone to give them the good content? Because advertisers, as much as they like to talk about that they don't like context, they actually don't like a lot of what goes on and where their ads are straddled. And they don't want to be in a feed that's scrolling by at 100 miles an hour with no sound on. They want, you know, to be in the middle of a break on really good content in a perfect world. And, you know, it's it's not a surprise that Facebook's moving into that territory. They're, they're looking to grow their share of dollars in the video. And the way to do that is to get really good content and find better ad products that get that people watch that don't just scroll and don't hear sound on ads. So, you know, everything's happening for that very reason. Yeah. And also, this is not a new challenge. You know, I remember 10 years ago talking about the difficulties in sort of monetizing user generated content. And and fundamentally, that's still a lot of the content that is on YouTube. Like, yes, there is professionally produced stuff. um, But, you know, a lot of this inventory is is not what you would call quote unquote premium. All right. We're going to leave it there, guys. Um, Thanks, Suze. Thanks, Jack. We're going to be back on this topic. I'm sure, again, it's a hot story still developing. We're waiting to hear what Google has to say uh, in terms of more details about its plans in this area. And, uh, and we'll take it up again. That's it now for the WSJ Media Mix podcast, and we'll catch you next time. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.